Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 139, Up the Long Ladder. the podcast to ye, and welcome to another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. All right, I'll quit. Jeez, you're going to talk, aren't you? Do you promise? What, that I'll quit? Yes. Yes? Okay, in that case... I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we follow the veritable rainbow that is an episode of Star Trek to its end, where, like a pot of gold, we look for messages, morals, and meanings, and find out whether it all sticks together. This week, ah, me lucky charms. It's up the long ladder. Promised you'd stop. I'm not doing the voice. Don't worry about it. But I am doing contact information. Um, Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter that handle, again, Mission Log Pod and all of those places. You can leave us a voicemail, you can. You can call us, 323-522-5641. That number again, 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is missionlogpodcast.com. And do please remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Can I tell you the hardest thing about um, at doing that fake accent? A- aside from hearing it, which I which yeah. I assume is dreadful. Yeah, yeah, it's just as painful for me. Yeah, I would imagine uh, so. Yeah, but the hardest thing though is to not keep doing it. <laughs> well, fortunately, yeah, I'm going to give you a little break. Oh, because because you got the trivia thing, don't you? Yeah, All yeah. Right. I'll do that. I, I do that for you and for our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> you do that for our listeners, let's be honest. Uh, okay. So uh, today's episode, Up and Long Ladder, was written by Melinda M. Stodgrass, she who brought us Measure of a Man, and who was mentioned by Will Wheaton as one of his favorite writers. Now, this was originally titled Send in the Clones. Gratefully, they changed the name. Uh, it was directed by Wienrich Kolbe. And uh, we have a handful of missing scenes, which I will get to later. I think it's more appropriate to talk about those in the uh, observations following the recap. Can I, uh, can, I, can I play the Irish guy when we do those scenes? Nope, nope, okay. nope, nope, nope. Okay. <laughs> we have some great Easter eggs uh, on the computer and actually throughout this show. But um, in the computer in Picard's office, um, the list of ship names includes the SS Buckaroo Banzai, the HMS Lord Nelson, the Uri Gagarin, uh, um, and captain names, which include Wienrich Colby and Melinda Snodgrass. Um, one of the missions is listed as a diplomatic mission to Alderaan. <laughs> so uh, we'll have to figure out how that went. <laughs> and um, going with the Buckaroo Banzai theme um, with the SS Buckaroo Banzai, when they bring up the ship manifest for the Mariposa, it reveals that that ship is a DY-500 class. Now, Khan's Botany Bay was a DY-500. 100 class, so same world there, but it was powered by a Yoyodyne fusion pulse. 
And Yoyodyne was a fake name, uh, an aerospace company created by Thomas Pynchon for his novels V and The Crying of Lot 49, and then used in Buckaroo Banzai. Now, we got a very cool note from one of our listeners, Nate, in Tokyo. Wow. Thank you, Nate. Um, who mentions that the, the uh, Yoshimitsu computers that are mentioned by Picard reading the ship manifest actually comes back to play later on. The computers that Riker sees in the Mariposa colony actually have the kanji written out for Yoshimitsu computers. Wait, was it the, was it the computers or was it the cloning machine? Well, the the computer is running the cloning machine. Oh, okay. So, yeah, okay. the, the, the kanji on top of that says that. Very, very cool. Um, now, the timeline in this is a little bit weird. They keep saying that the colonies are 300 years old. Now, by current retconning and generally accepted timelines, the, the Mariposa would have been launched about 240 years before the events of this episode, somewhere around there. So, you can kind of put the pieces together however you like. Um by the way, kind of the top of the story, we are leaving Starbase 73, which is exactly where we were when Riker was making a terrible omelet and uh, right before Picard met himself from the future. So all kinds of great things happen when you leave Starbase 73. Up the long ladder, uh, we mentioned that as the episode title. Now, that is actually an old Irish saying. It describes a trip to the gallows, a long ladder to a short rope. And uh, carrying on with the Irish theme, Bring Lloyd is the Irish word for dream. And uh, let's recap the guest stars real quick. We have uh, Barry Ingham as Danilo. Now, he made multiple appearances in Doctor Who, including the non-canon movie Doctor Who and the Daleks. Awesome. He appeared in 16 plays with Dame Judi Dench, and he is the voice of Basil in The Great Mouse Detective. Um, we also have Rosalind Landor, who played Brenna. Now, she got an early start working as a child actor in England, uh, moved on to TV, and then did a lot of voice work after her appearance in Next Generation. And uh, finally, John DeVries, who plays Granger, uh, actually plays all the Grangers, um, started as a regular on the soap opera Ryan's Hope, and he went on to do a lot of TV guest appearances, including Miami Vice, The Equalizer, and Law and & Order. So, DeVries, you say he played all of the Grangers? Played all the Grangers. Not just the um, lone Granger? It is at times like this that I am reminded of a quote from the film Carlito's Way. Are you ready? Here comes the pain. Prologue. Captain Picard has been sent information about a distress signal, a very old distress signal, that he shares with Commander Riker. It's something that would have been used on Earth, an SOS-type signal from centuries ago. Since the Enterprise is already near enough to the ficus sector looking for decorative plants, they'll go take a look. Also, Worf just passed out cold at his station on the bridge. Act 1. Don't worry about Worf. Dr. Berlaski says he fainted because he has the Klingon equivalent of the measles, probably after a trip to Kronos Land theme park. Well, she tells Worf that, but Worf doesn't want anyone else to know. This is a childhood disease, and his pride would really be hurt if the others knew. So Pulaski does what any good doctor would, 
lies to the commanding officer about Worf's condition. He'll be fine anyway. Data tries to work out the details of the distress signal with Captain Picard. They find that a ship, the SS Mariposa, was launched in the year 2123, carrying a bizarre array of goods, computers and high-tech equipment, along with livestock and ancient devices like spinning wheels. Data figures that the colonists could have been followers of a post-World War III philosopher who advocated a return to a simpler life without technology. On the way to look for the colonies, Worf thanks Dr. Pulaski by letting her engage in the Klingon tea ceremony with him. It's not a thing for outsiders. In fact, it could kill a human. But Dr. Pulaski is curious and has an antidote on hand. Worf explains that the danger of the ritual is what brings Klingons together, and he recites a little poetry to mark the occasion. Arriving at the fifth planet, they do find life, the colonists, and Data finds that the sun is going through some tumultuous activity. The flares will surely destroy those beings living on the planet if the Enterprise crew doesn't act. It's a weird situation, though. There is no technology or a way to contact the people who are in danger. Riker will have to beam down with a landing party and explain what's going on and get them out of there. Deanna warns that may not be a good idea, but they've got to do it anyway. Once he's made contact, Riker calls up to start the evacuation, but it's not going so well. Picard doesn't care. He wants those people beamed up now. When the first group arrives, Chief O'Brien is surprised to see that he has beamed up the cast of a suburban production of Finnegan's Wake. Actually, who he meets is a group of very scruffy farmers with Irish accents and surrounded by animals and buckets and hay. It's like traveling third class on the Titanic, but with animals and buckets, and hay. Act 2. The refugees are making themselves at home. A couple of hundred of them, plus the animals, are put into one of the larger cargo holds. Picard stops by for a visit with Worf after their Assats leader, Danilo Odell, trips the fire prevention system. Danilo has a fiery daughter, Brenna, who is not fond of being on board the ship, but she seems intrigued by Riker. Riker reciprocates. Picard is not amused. Well, wait, wait, scratch that. Picard is amused at the whole thing. Farmers, pigs, sheep, hay everywhere. The absurdity of the moment is not lost on him. Brenna is just worked up. She's got things to do, but she asks Riker where she can wash up. Her feet, to be precise. Being the good first officer he is, he offers to take her on a personal tour of the Enterprise. Danilo Odell has caught up with the captain with a quick question, though. He wants to know if they have caught up yet to the other colonists. Act 3. Yeah. Others. So there's another Class M planet nearby, and Picard directs the ship to it. He presumes that this must be the descendants of those colonists who had all the fancy computer equipment on board the SS Mariposa. Down in his quarters, Riker is getting a lesson on how the colonists wash their feet. It mostly involves Brenna eyeing him seductively, then dropping her long skirt, followed by making out. Still not sure if she ever washed her feet. In the cargo hold, Danilo is going about the business of setting up a still to brew poteen. Knowing he'll start a fire again, he asks Worf for help, and Worf merely directs him to the replicator. First on the menu is some Irish whiskey. It'll do, but it's not great. Worf orders up something in Klingon, something very powerful, and that seems to do the trick. Just like Roscoe taking a drink of whatever those Duke boys were running, Danilo has the breath knocked out of him. In a moment, Brenna returns, though, and she sets her father back to business. 
this time arranging school for the colonist children on the Enterprise. On the bridge, Data notes that they have arrived at the other planet, and there is indeed a signal coming from it. Wilson Granger introduces himself to Captain Picard as the Prime Minister and invites his crew to come down for a visit. Riker, Worf, and Pulaski are ready to go, but Deanna urges caution. They're hiding something. Oh, Deanna, aren't they all? In the city of Mariposa, all is gleaming white walls and well-manicured and well-mannered people. Victor Granger introduces himself, the Minister of Health. He has a striking resemblance to the Prime Minister. All the people in Mariposa have a striking resemblance to each other, actually. Upon meeting Wilson Granger, Dr. Pulaski just blurts it out. She wants to know if all the people here are clones. Clones? Clones? Clones. Act 4. On board the Enterprise, Wilson Granger explains what happened. When the SS Mariposa landed, there was terrible damage. Only five of the crew survived, three men and two women. They were all scientists, and they knew they couldn't populate a whole colony. The only viable option was to turn to cloning. Over the many years, this new society, which had used drugs and punishment to curb sexual desire, finds the idea of physical reproduction repugnant. Cut to Riker, who is keeping it cool on the outside while his inner monologue says, What? The problem is that they will all die out. The more clones they make, the more opportunities for problems with the copies. All they need is some fresh DNA, and Granger would love it if the Enterprise crew could provide that. Riker's inner voice becomes much louder as he flat out refuses. So does everyone else at the table, and Picard says that's likely the same attitude Granger will get from everyone on the ship. Granger will return to his colony, but Pulaski will see if she can help from a medical perspective, and Geordi will tag along to address any of their equipment needs. Down on the planet, everything goes just fine. Except for the part where Granger calls Pulaski and Riker into his office and then has them stunned and hauled away by his security team of Axel Foley clones. Geordi comes in looking for them, but Granger plays dumb. Cut to a high-tech lab where unconscious Riker and Pulaski are having long needles slowly pushed into their stomachs. A little time has passed, and the away team are back on board the Enterprise. Geordi stops by sickbay to find Pulaski and Riker and asks where they were. They're perfectly fine, but now that Geordi asks, they are a little fuzzy on some details. They remember seeing Granger in his office, yet Granger told Geordi he didn't see them. Something is up. Dutch Pulaski does a scan of Geordi and Riker to find that Riker has some missing epithelial cells. So does the doctor. Riker wastes no time in beaming the three back down to the surface in the colony's cloning lab. There it is under glass, a not-quite-formed clone of Riker, and next to it, a not-quite-formed clone of Pulaski. A couple of phaser blasts vaporizes both. Granger then enters the scene. Too late to save the new clones and accuses Riker of taking away their right to survive. Act 5. Let's recap, shall we? The Mariposans will die out in a few generations at best if they don't have fresh DNA, but there's nobody in the Enterprise who will volunteer to be cloned. Riker wants to destroy any samples that might have remained behind. What they really need is some fresh breeding stock to mix up the gene pool. Picard has another problem on his hands, trying to relocate the Brinloiden population. So we've got people who need DNA over here, and we've got people who need a new home over there. Gosh, 
what should we do? Wait, if this didn't seem apparent at the end of Act 3, we'll spell it out for you now. The Bringloidans will be integrated into the Mariposan society to diversify the gene pool, thus giving everybody a better chance at survival. Plus, the Bringloidans will get computers and the Mariposans will get pigs and hay and buckets. Picard's got it all worked out. Now he just needs to clue in his guests. It's not going so well. Danilo and Wilson hate each other. Then Picard drops the bombshell. It's cool. They can do what they want. They'll all be dead in 50 years, leaving behind an empty city others can come use. Danilo tries to appeal to Wilson. His people are hard workers and willing to learn. Plus, there might be some fun in reawakening those carnal desires they have eschewed for so long. Just to make things more interesting, all the women in the group will each need to have three husbands in order to propagate the species. Ew, gross. Danilo is totally down, though. Let's shake on it and go pick out some wives. Down in the cargo hold, the Bringloidens are getting the good news. Brenna is just slightly miffed at the idea that her personal and reproductive destinies have been spoken for. But she likes the idea of ushering in a new era for her people on a new colony and the idea of the prime minister as one of her three husbands. The end. Have we ever heard anything about, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Birth control? In, oh, in next gen, know, because yeah, because yeah. I'm thinking Riker might have actually left a little DNA on the planet anyway. <laughs> it just yeah, it just seems Riker. seems possible. It seems because yeah. that fush, foot washing ceremony, excuse me, mm-hmm. uh, seemed to seemed to be a bit involved. Um, I, it's an interesting question, though. You wonder if they have donors in the 24th century. Is that that's a thing now? Yeah. It, well, there is that too, right? Yeah. yeah. And also, yeah. Uh, yet another question. I, I understand he is the captain of the ship, mm-hmm. but let's say, I don't know, you and I are down there peeling potatoes like we do on the old mm-hmm. 1701D. That's all we got. Maybe one of us would be okay donating some of our genetic material. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not, And I'm not saying I would necessarily. I'm not saying you would necessarily. I'm just saying he just spoke for like a 1,100 people or however many people on the Enterprise. Yeah, yeah. Well, well that's the thing. You got 1,000 people and, and he's speaking for them. Uh, uh, for donating genetic material to be cloned. Right. But that doesn't mean they couldn't reproduce. Well, no, it so, doesn't even mean they yeah. wouldn't want to be cloned, though. That's the thing. Yeah, I mean, right, right, Riker's right. like, hey, not me. And, and Picard's like, oh, no, 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 no. And, uh, and Dr. Pulaski just shakes her head. Yeah, and, and you're thinking, hey, more potato peelers. <laughs> I got this. Well, I'm not even thinking me, necessarily. Yeah. I'm just thinking, and Picard says, and I think you'll find that attitude uh, prevalent throughout the Enterprise. Yeah. Oh, you, you you think so? So you'd you'd be cool with me asking everybody then? <laughs> no, apparently not. No. Nope. I, I had a question because you yeah. you of course have the DVD and you watch the you know, all the extra stuff and things. Mm-hmm. Um, was there any indication from uh, Miss Nodgrass mm-hmm. that these were actually three different stories rolled into one? Because these feel like somebody had like a like a fifteen minute idea for one episode of Star Trek, you know, Worf getting sick and then the whole yeah, tea ceremony thing. And there was another fifteen minute uh, segment about um um whatever the heck was going on with the Bring Lloydy. <laughs> right. And then there's another fifteen minute segment about the clones and and uh, certainly the second and third segment tie in together. The first mm-hmm. segment though, it it really just sort of felt like it felt like they had three ideas and couldn't get any of them to 48 minutes. And yeah. so then just like put them all together and, and sort of mashed them in. 
Yeah, well, Worf's story literally has no bearing on anything. It really doesn't. Bad, because it's an interesting moment, which I I feel like we'll talk about. The short answer to your question is no. Okay. Um, The the longer answer to that question is to say that... (laughs) No. (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) No, the the longer version of the answer is to say that um, Melinda Snodgrass had a couple of... Uh, ideas in the original version of this that she wanted to get across. Mm -hmm. So she wanted to address the idea of immigration. Okay. Which we will talk about for sure. Um, And then when she was trying to express this, she said, you know, it's kind of like you think about the Irish experience, people coming here and and trying to assimilate into a culture, but also maintain a culture. And unfortunately, that's what it just turned into. And there were multiple rewrites after the fact that she felt like got away from her. Mm. So um, the original version of this would have been something quite a bit different. Um, but yeah, that, that that was not her original inspiration to make it the way this episode played out. Which I guess um, you would actually get that impression. You mentioned earlier, and forgive me if I'm rushing you, but you mentioned earlier that there were missing scenes um, yes. Were these yes. scenes actually filmed or were these scenes that she wrote that just d- d- didn't make it to production? Uh, they were actually filmed. Um, I, I'll just very quickly go through what they are. First of all, we have Riker's reaction after his encounter with Brianna, uh, Brenna, sorry, in his quarters. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's him going back onto the bridge and he's just got that big Riker smile and <sighs> Worth says everything OK. And he's like, yep, everything's good. I'm um, sharing my dna um (laughs) then then you have yeah i'm glad they cut that uh then you have an extended version of grainer granger explaining the genetic problem to the assembled uh crew in the uh in the conference room um and then you have an interesting bit of uh danilo um or danilo however you decide to pronounce it uh telling the colonist history to the colonist children. So he he talks about being dropped off by the Mariposa centuries ago. And then Picard realizing that the distress signal was left behind by the Mariposa to be triggered in case of emergency. Hmm. So that was like a satellite. So the, those people on the planet literally had no technology um, or at least no advanced technology, but there was this satellite there to say, okay, just in case something on a planetary scale gets out of hand, this will fire. Um, and then there's a wrap up at the end on the bridge. So you go from Brenna talking about the prime minister and marrying him. Uh, you go back to the bridge where they have a little tongue in cheek chatter about all the breeding that will take place. And, and Riker has a weird analogy about cats in a bag. And then Worf recites a little Klingon poetry. Makes everybody uneasy. So no, there, there's not a lot of heavy extra morals, meanings, messages, or heavy story stuff that, that changes anything that happened here. Just some added detail. And that's why I wanted to save it for, uh, for, for doing that now. So, no, unfortunately, it doesn't uh, save or dramatically alter what you were talking about as being kind of a, a story problem with this episode. And speaking of story problems, by the way, um, one of the things that's on the Blu-ray is the original preview for this episode. And it's hilarious that it has absolutely no mention of the first group of colonists or the Wharf story, for that matter. It is just purely about stealing DNA to make clones. Really? That's it. So, that so it. the preview is all about the last 15 minutes of the show. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and it's just, <laughs> I can't remember if it was Ernie Anderson who did those previews at the time, but they're wonderful and they're a, a distinct part of my childhood mm-hmm. where it's just like, on the next episode of Star Trek, the next generation, a band of colonists steals DNA from the Enterprise to make clones. <laughs> and, then, and then that's it. You're just like, wow, that's, whoa, that, that, that's incredible. And then you turn it on and you're like, am I, is this the right? Because there was a whole thing, you know, yeah. I, I thought for a moment I would actually love to see an episode about the colonist children going to school with the kids in the Enterprise. Maybe I, not a whole I, episode, but a few minutes. I didn't understand the point of that at all. How long are they planning on keeping them? Because they said they're yeah, going to take them. Know, right? They said they're going to take them to the nearest star base, right? Mm-hmm. But we know they just left the star base. So yeah. the nearest star base is not that far away. Kids are going to be on the Enterprise for maybe a day. And it's like, yeah. well, we need to get them in school. Come on. And that actually that actually confused me because then it's sort of like that whole. It's like the Amish kind of in a way, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, because are these kids growing up without any knowledge of future stuff? We're actually going to uh, talk about Prime Directive in a bit and whether or not it applies yeah, to yeah. these people. I know it probably doesn't. But look, if they're going to be on, on board for like a month or six mm. months, then I get it. But if they're going to yeah. be there for 12 hours, 24 maybe, right. hey, kids, school is postponed for a day. You know, I don't because th- th- that's just going to raise more questions than you got answers for. It seems well, exactly. It's not like just get out your iPads and do a lesson. Right. It's, this is a computer. Right. <laughs> Here's how it works. Right. You know? And then if I'm an eight year old and I just came from sleeping next to a pig and chickens, then I'm going to be like, I would rather stay here. Exactly. That's <laughs> what are they going to teach them? And then yeah. are the kids. I mean, it's I can't remember what the name of it is, but there is a there's that thing that the Amish do when they go to a, oh, uh, a Rumspringa. Okay, so I mean, yeah. is this sort of like an enforced one of those really quickly? Like, are yeah, all the right. kids of school age from Bring Lloyd uh, suddenly go through that, and then it's like, oh, except you don't really have the choice. All right, right. little six year old Tommy, now do you want to go down on the planet and uh, go through all that harsh stuff, or do you want to go back and play on the holodeck some more? I mean, and he's like, yeah, but but up, up there, the floors clean themselves. Exactly. If I remember hearing Captain Riker or Commander Riker. Yeah. yeah. Can I have more ice cream? Yes. <laughs> just ask the wall. Really? Can I have more ice cream? Yes. Just ask the wall. Hmm. I don't know. I, I, just, yeah. I just I just can't decide. Um, uh, oh, uh, by the way. So we, we got uh, another cool note uh, from a listener. This one from Alan. And he points out kind of the bad genetic mathematics in the episode. And um, and I'm just very doing a very cursory job paraphrasing here. But he actually did the math and he said, out of those five survivors, you actually have multiple combinations. What you need to do is have offspring with every possible combination of that group of five. And then you actually do have a very viable uh, uh, population. And in very short order – you can have a massive population. They they, they should have gotten there, and it just seemed explosive child growth. You know, maybe they, uh, population growth. Yeah. Maybe they actually just didn't like each other. Well, that's <laughs> I'm sure very possible. So I think we very need to get possible. biz. Uh, no, we no, are not, not going to. I did the math, and uh, yeah, no, we we need to learn how to clone because that <laughs> is not happening. Um. I wondered about the tricorder being able to see a handful of missing cells because I wondered, well, first of all, does it see a puncture wound? And <laughs> then I wondered, wouldn't the transporter, if you're really, if you're counting cells, wouldn't the transporter catch that? 
Hmm. You know, you beam back up, the transporter goes, hey, wait a minute. Did you leave something behind? Like part of your stomach lining? <laughs> you know? I thought, I thought the transporter, though, was just trying to filter out anything bad. It, it really is. It, yeah. It's just trying to filter out disease, and, you know, viruses, bacteria and stuff. But I, I thought that was kind of a weird thing. Like, oh, here's the tricorder. And it just knows exactly how many epithelial cells you should have in your stomach, even though that cell layer turns over constantly. Yeah. It's just going to know. It's like, oh, look, you're missing cells. Well, hey, never mind that puncture wound that you and I both have in the same exact place that we didn't have hours before. We learned a new trick that Jordy's visor is a lie detector. Yeah, I know. And remind me, mm -hmm. does he get to play poker with everybody? <gasps> oh, you're right. Yeah, I, I, I think I would have right. been a little more careful about telling people that. Yeah. <laughs> Especially the people with whom he plays poker. It's poker probably night. not a big deal, though. They will probably forget by the next time we see them sit down to play poker. Ken is not the only one who can do accents, you know. Ahem. With the story and observations behind us, let us look now at some of the deeper issues in this episode. So I found it difficult to um, attack this episode the way we normally do. What? I know. I, I generally speaking, I'll go through and I'll watch and I'll you know pull out this part. Like we, I mean, we, we have a way that we do the show, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I just found myself watching the show, picking out different parts, but not like oh well, this whole segment stands for this or this whole segment, you know, whatever. I, I found myself making a list of interesting things, questionable things, painful things, <laughs> and then actual issues in the show. So okay. why don't we run through them sort of in that in that um, vein? Well, let's do that because my notes, I think, are a little more organic, like more the typical way that we would do a show. So yeah. I'm willing to just throw them in All right. whenever we, we kind of hit those points. All right. So things that I found interesting. Okay. Uh, the European hegemony or <laughs> hegemony, whichever. Hegemony? Hegemony. Hegemony. Okay. Hegemony. Yeah. Hege it's an interesting thing. Uh, yeah. and it's uh, once again Picard going, "Wow, read some history, would you?" Which he actually says to uh, which he actually says to Riker um, in this episode. I mean, that's it's sort of an interesting idea. Nothing to it at all in this episode, but it's sort of an interesting idea. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Sort of at the same time, I I do kind of like the idea that the Earth had so many ships leaving that those ships could be lost, but the records still exist someplace because that's actually how data found out who these people were likely to be, right? Mm -hmm. Or who these people mm -hmm. were, which, which I thought was really interesting. Like, yeah, we got no record of any ship going this way. We have no record of any of this stuff. And Data's like, yeah, but somebody must have put stuff on that ship. And so that you can go back and find. That's how uh, uh, what, uh, what Wayland Industries, that's how like Wayland Industries ends, right, up, right. ends up, you know, finding the aliens and coming back and all that stuff is, is, is keeping track of what's on what pallet. Well, never, never mind whether, you know, what the ship was called, the Oberon, the, the Nostromo, the Nostromo, yeah, I believe it was. Yeah. Um, never mind what the ship was called, because that, you know, that money's already spent. Yeah. We're getting money off of the stuff that we loaded onto it. So that you'll be able to track. I That's it true. Kind of interesting. I, I, I've said it before that I, I'm kind of fascinated with the idea that the the better and better computers get and the better that computers get at being able to synthesize information um, 
I think that's a useful historical tool. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the idea that you can look at things like receipts and bills and paychecks and memos and all and really pull together like a complete picture of a person or an event. Um, I, so I, I kind of go along with that here with, with what you're saying. You pull up the manifest, you can kind of paint this picture. So, yeah, you know, Google can do anything and it's even <laughs> better in the 24th century. Apparently so. I was interested in the like the decision making process on board the Mariposa two hundred and forty years ago, when the crew, you know, how that crew was decided and and who to drop off where, mm-hmm. and did they know that there were two planets nearby enough? Because we're the colonists, it's like okay, well, we found two planets, so we'll drop you off and then we'll go on and do our thing, and. Um, I, I wondered about those who were following the back to nature life being left behind and really with no technology. Mm-hmm. And, and and it concerned me again about this weird thing of life in the 24th century where you have total freedom to live the life you want. And apparently the life you were given on Earth with its technological advancement is not that appealing to many people. You know, we have come across colonists over and over and over again who eschew what worth what Earth has to offer. And here's another group of them. They've taken it to an extreme. Where they say we're going to live like you know, nineteenth century, eighteenth century farmers from well, Ireland. Except you know? they didn't leave in the twenty fourth century. Left in the twenty second century. Well, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what the deal was that made the European hegemony gr- grow. Well, there was a world war. Well, so my assumption is things were fairly bad. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, you know, yeah, let's leave yeah. the planet. The thing is <laughs> kind of crappy here. There's lots of radiation. We haven't even found warp drive yet, whatever that is. Uh, so, you know, there's – or did they have warp drive? I guess they must have if they were that far yeah. out, right? They, they had to have had at least, uh, I think – They can't have had warp drive yet, though, because – well, because now I'm jumping the timeline if I do that. No, no, no. That, you, that, that, that's, that's warp five. What? Yeah. So the idea and uh, we're just going to. No, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Okay. So you're telling me that they would not have known that there was anything beyond what was on Earth at that point. They would know that they go out and make other colonies. Otherwise, they would have no clue. Yeah, they, they they had to have known by twenty one twenty three. There are other planets that can support life, and they have at least enough warp drive. All right, to get there. How um, is it they didn't bump into anybody else? The Enterprise can't go five feet without bumping into another <laughs> ship. How is it right, <laughs> these guys didn't right. see anybody all the way out to the edge of wherever it is that they went? Right now, I, I sometimes wonder about this though. The the thing is like. If it's not just more and more suburban and rural expansion that that will get eaten up eventually anyway, you know, there there are those in the colonies who most certainly will want conveniences or who will evolve out of their their singular philosophical mindset. So I, I, I get it. Okay, Earth is just shattered and it's horrible and we have this opportunity to leave cool. But once we get out and once we've gone through a couple of generations of people who are maybe not all in the same boat of saying, yeah, we should follow this guy's prescribed lifestyle. Mm-hmm. We want something different. We're back to the the ritual of, of Rumspringa. And do people then get to leave? It seems like you would have a, a much more heterogeneous uh, uh, group of people then. Yes. Yeah. It's interesting. So there you go. All right. More interesting things. Uh, Worf getting the measles is actually kind of interesting to me. Um, how would a warrior and the head of uh, ship security deal with or feel about uh, being felled by a childhood malady? Mm-hmm. We, we don't really address it. 
Um, and then the suggestiveness of the Klingon tea ceremony between Worf and Pulaski is interesting as well. I mean, it really was suggestive because you said you recited a little uh, love poetry. You said you recited poetry. Well, actually, she asked him to. Well, yeah. but, it, but there was, I don't want to say there was flirtation, but it sort of felt like there might be there where he was like, so he says the whole thing about, uh, yeah, the tea will kill you or it'll come pretty close <laughs> to killing you. But that's the whole point, you know, that many things, you know, like death um, is, is a thing best shared. Um, and and then she says, you're a romantic. And he says, oh, love poetry doesn't really isn't really love poetry unless you've heard it in Klingon. So then she goes and, and gives herself the antidote for the for the tea so that she can drink it. And then she says, now recite me some of that love poetry. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like, wow. Um, huh. <laughs> and cut. And, yeah. and and nothing else about that. Again, uh, maybe in season three, something will grow between Pulaski and uh, and Pulaski and Worf. Who knows? Oh, that would be beautiful. That would you be know, nice. I, the the thing is, like, even if you don't say that it's a romantic scene, it's still an incredibly intimate. Scene. It is. It is. That's true. And I'm not saying I'm not saying that there was any you know anything untoward or even anything. I mean, there hey, could be. They're consenting yeah. adults. I mean, there would yeah, be nothing yeah. untoward about it. I'm not saying it was that, but yeah, there was a there was a neat sort of like you know, bonding sort of intimacy. Also, you gotta love one thing you gotta love about Pulaski. She's up for just about anything. Yeah. You know, like, hey, your your machine friend is an idiot who is actually not your friend because he's just zeros and ones. But, oh, you want to go out on a holodeck and play Sherlock Holmes? Sure. Let me get my dress. You know, I mean, she she's really I mean, she's up for she's up for just about anything, which is kind of cool, including the, you know, the tea ceremony thing. And and it's a great way to show cultural exchange. Yes. Yes. Perhaps. You know, if there is a theme to be found in this episode, there it is. And in a micro scale. Hey, does that mean we can stop now? Oh, that would be great. No, <laughs> go no we can't. All right, go ahead. Um, and, and by the way, the, there is a parallel, I thought, between the tea ceremony and then the moment with Worf offering real alcohol to Danilo. Mm. Um, if it were Picard, he would have given a speech. I mean, think about it. Danilo would have said, oh, we got we to gotta make booze. And Picard's like, not on my ship. And then he says, well, what about that replicator? Can it make booze? And then Picard would have had this long speech about, you know – you, you you can't just drink your problems away because we're more evolved than that. And we like to, you know, take life's problems and blah, blah, blah. And I don't, I don't think like, that's, no, seriously, I need booze. I don't right think now. that's true. I don't think Picard would have done that. Oh, I, I think Picard spent exactly as much time with those colonists as he wanted to. And if getting them drunk was going to get him away, that would have been absolutely <laughs> fine with him. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, it, it is kind of interesting. You know, Worf says that all of the deleterious effects of the alcohol would be intact, mm. to which Danilo replies that all pleasure has to be purchased by an equal amount of pain. Um, and in the tea ceremony, he says, yeah, like this tea is great and it's this intimate, important ceremony, but it could kill you. well not Klingons it's not good for Klingons but it won't kill them it's not good for them it'll get them near it though if it's not good for a Klingon then I don't want it anywhere near me yeah I wonder if I wonder if uh, if if Dr. Pulaski ended up holding Worf's hair (laughs) later (laughs) oh why do we do this maybe Uh, this is the worst ceremony ever Uh, (laughs) we have special glasses for this why right (laughs) sorry right. sort of terrible All right. so moving on to the questionable things Yes. Hippo laws are one thing. Lying to Picard is something else entirely. Now, yeah. and because Picard calls, and, you know, so she tells him, you've got this childhood malady. And he's like, I don't tell anybody I have a childhood malady because I'm, I'm an adult now. I got the problems of an adult. I'm an adult now. And, uh, and so then Picard calls. He's like, so what's up with Worf? And she's like, ah, he didn't eat enough. 
Yeah. Now, maybe Picard should not call Pulaski on speaker because, I mean, think about it. Nobody, no, I mean, really, you only get two kinds of private conversations in Star Trek. I'm sorry. You get one kind of private conversation on Star Trek The Next Generation. That's a face-to-face conversation. Otherwise, if Picard says, hey, Dr. Pulaski, what's up? There's no telling who else is in the room with him when he's asking that question. Right, right. So, so maybe privately she should tell Picard. But, I mean, there's no way that, you know, especially after what Worf just said, it's kind of weird to me that she lies uh, That she lies to the captain. It is interesting. You could handle that very easily just by saying, how's Worf? He's fine. fine. I'll, I'll log a full medical report. Yes. And, that, and then that seems like... Which will be it, riddled with lies, by the way. Yeah, well, well, but it seems like that would be private information. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Unless, that would, it, for some reason, it had to be accessible. That would fall into the HIPAA laws. You're right. You would think, yeah. unless we did away with those right after the, uh, right after the Bryn Lloyd uh, went to the front of Bryn Lloyd, actually. So kind of coincidental, yes. that isn't it? Yeah. Um, this is actually a question I think worth discussing. I don't know how big one though. Um, is there no concern for the rights of the clones? And I don't mean the clones that are you know walking, talking, you know, doing all the things they do. One's prime minister for crying mm-hmm. out loud. The ones that are developing. They land and they can, the, the clones are developed enough that they can tell which one is the Riker clone and which one is the uh, Pulaski clone. Yeah. Right. Um, and Riker just decides to kill him. Yeah, it, he does. Now, it's not, yeah. the thing is, I, I get it, it's his genetic material, but it's not, I mean, it, <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know mm-hmm. what happens here at this point. I don't, and I'm not sure. It reminded me a bit of what happened with LQ Sonny Clemens and Mr. Offenhouse and that lovely woman whose name I can't remember. Um, if Data hadn't brought them back to life, they'd be dead, and that would be fine with Picard. He was okay with them being dead. Now that they're alive, they have to deal with them. Yeah. So I guess if the clones never come to life, we're not really killing them. But, mm-hmm. I, I mean, it was just, it was weird to me that, I mean, that actually could have been a completely different fork at that point. It's like, oh, well, now, well, look at him. He's me. I mean, yeah. granted, you can't see through my skin, but... Look at him. He's me. He's going right. to be he's going to be something. He's going to be somebody. I don't right. know. Well, okay. I mean th- that's where you get into um one of Melinda Snodgrass's other uh, uh points with this episode and she says that she got a lot of negative mail about this because of the pro-choice statement that the show is making. And she did that very purposely and very specifically and she went to producer Maurice Hurley to essentially get his okay to do it and she ran with it you know mm-hmm. she said okay here's my soapbox to make this statement now all that said okay that she's the writer good for her that this is a place where she is going to make a statement mm-hmm. regardless of whether you agree with it or not that that's her ability to do that um what is interesting from a production point of view then is how do you depict that? Because as you said, right. Okay. So say down, the words out loud. You're talking about pro-choice, pro-life, right? You're talking about yeah, abortion yeah. issue. Okay. Yeah, Cause that has yeah, not been totally. stated to this point. And honestly, when he stands there and kills those clones, mm-hmm. I'm still not thinking in those terms. It's not until Pulaski says the line. No, it's not. It, Riker says, uh, we have the right to decide what happens with our own bodies. Yep. And, 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 and yeah. Pulaski says, you'll get no argument from me. Yeah. But they're not their bodies anymore. And here's the problem that I have. This does not feel like the same issue to me. I understand you can sort of turn it into that issue. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. look, I don't know what would have happened to those clones. If they had just turned off that machine, do those clones die at that point? Then right. then this is analogous to uh, an abortion issue, it seems yeah. to me, or a question of abortion. If, on the other hand, you turn those machines off and those clones are going to get up and walk around, 
Yeah, okay, it actually is very much an abortion thing. I just can't believe I didn't hear it until that line. Yeah. Uh, well, except, it, it, but, ex- Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I was say that, that's where I was going with the idea of how do you depict that on TV? Yeah. Because if they went down there and what they saw was a, a Petri dish full of jelly and some scientists said, like, oh, yeah, this is your DNA and we're going to replicate it over and over and over again and then finally it'll be a human – you might have a lot less of a problem with Riker pulling out his phaser and saying, no, not with my DNA, you don't. Right. But what we have is a gelatinous thing that is actually in the shape of a Riker, and we can see his organs nearly fully formed on the inside. How did I uh, miss that until the line? <laughs> uh, yeah. All yeah. right. Yeah. I, you know, and, and it is interesting that Star Trek uh, up until now has had a very uneasy approach to cloning. You know, it, it has pretty much always been nothing but bad news, no matter how you look at it. We did unnatural <laughs> selection not that long ago. Right. And anytime we play with the, the genes of human beings, boy, it's just it's just bad news. It gave us uh, the 50 foot spot, though. And who doesn't love that? I love a 50 foot spot. I'm but, saying that's, that's yeah. exactly what I'm saying. Hope we see him again. <laughs> Maybe get Simon Pegg on the phone. Yeah. Uh, do you want to go to the painful stuff? Oh, oh. Or did yeah. we? Or did we finish that? Because I, I feel like that's a that's just a man. That's just a. Well, no, you you have it in there as a question because it's a question, All not right. because we're going to say. And here's what Star Trek did. You know, no, it's just it's questionable. It is. I, I don't is. think there's much more to say about it than that. All right. Painful parts. Okay. Uh, uh, the Bring Lloydy. Yeah. Um, I said in the original series that all knowledge of the Irish in Star Trek seems to have been gleaned from a, a box of Lucky Charms. Mm-hmm. And years later, it is the same old, same old. I mean, this is yep. this is so this is so. Wow. I thought we were going to hear the Finnegan music from Shore Leave. <laughs> and if we did, I was going to throw my computer at the TV. Yeah. There would be no show this week. Yeah, isn't it lovely? It's just fantastic. Uh-huh. I, I can't remember if there were any of those long pipes that I think of in the uh, in the stereotypical Irish things. Uh, Irish men are drunkards, which, you know, is true. No, I'm kidding. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm, I'm absolutely kidding. But, yeah, just, I mean, just so many, even down to, like, the 1950s whiskey face. Like, he takes, oh. he takes a sip of that hard alcohol, and he does the whole... Yeah. And, yeah. you know, pops the eyes and just, um, yeah, it's just bad. I, I had a friend when I was doing a theater in uh, Chicago who was he's a great character actor, but a really over-the-top character actor. He did a lot of children's theater because of that. Mm-hmm. and but, but that was his style, and it was his style for that and also just sort of making jokes off stage. And I kept thinking, like, how interesting that this person who's my age, it seems like was only brought up on like a diet of the soupy sale show. And like, <laughs> and like, that's his point of reference for doing things like nice. the drunk act, you know? Yeah. And, and, and yeah, and we said it before, like how terrible it is when you watch actors act drunk. Yeah. And, and here we do it again. And, uh, and just all the lines about the, the, the beer and the booze and it just felt like okay come on we've we've hit that we we really need to move on and yeah them something else of a character um speaking of other characters brenna mm-hmm. um irish women are strong and that's great mm-hmm. that that would be a wonderful statement because you could just say well women are strong at that point mm-hmm. too uh she's borderline battle axe I yeah. mean, she's she's stereotypically strong. She is, well, you're a layabout and a loser and a jerk and I hate you, but I love you. 
but I, yeah. I'm the one who does the work, and we all know this, and men just get together and drink and make decisions about the women, but the women are the ones who actually do the thing. And it just starts to sound like rote. I mean, it's just, you know. The other, the other thing, and there's one thing I like about her. Um, mm-hmm. She definitely owns her sexuality, which actually oh, sure. could tie in easily to the whole clone question that we were talking about earlier, if you're not going to call it a clone. Um, but what, did she spend like seven minutes with Riker? Yeah, well, you know, that's, that's why they call it the seven minute Riker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not the full. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. I just, it, 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 on the one hand, I, I sort of like the fact that, yeah, she's a strong woman. She knows what she wants. She makes that available. And that's great. Um, at the same time, um, readily available. A yeah, little, well, it, it happened a little too quickly. And maybe that's because they're trying to jam so much stuff into 48 minutes. And we don't know that they have birth control on their colony. Yeah, so we don't. We, an, we don't know that at all question um and yeah there there were things where i kept going back and forth about my attitude toward brenna because like you said she's strong and there's actually this nice moment when picard says because he doesn't overplay it but at the very end he says look the decision is yours right we can take you back to a star base but they will need your strength you know yeah. And that's cool. It's like an acknowledgement of her as a person, not just a breeding vessel um, or or like you said, the battle axe. Right. You know, so that's cool. But then they kind of screw it up for me because you end it with her saying like, oh, he's rich. One of my husbands will be rich. Oh, OK, then I'll stay. Yeah. Um, well, no, it's yeah. actually because she'd have to leave her da. That was the reason <laughs> that she wasn't going to go at all. And then right. once so then once she accepts the fact that she's going to be there, then she's going to make the best of a. Sure. Of a situation that she's probably not going to find the worst in the world. It's just she didn't get to decide for herself or it wasn't her idea. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I just kept thinking, you know, thank goodness Picard made that offer. And I hope he made it to everybody. Yes. Because, again, if I'm an eight-year-old and I've been raised, you know, in hay, I'm going to say, like, no, you, you guys have, like, carpet. What is this? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you know? Like, oh, air conditioning, you called it. Oh, that's really, wow. yeah, that's really, that's really wow. interesting. That's pretty Incredible. cool. Speaking of things that they should know the name of and they don't. So yeah. so tell me about this computer. Uh, yeah. Come on, dude. Yeah. There were computers on the Earth in the 21st and a half or whatever time they left. 2100 yeah. something. You know, yeah. I, I understand not knowing how to work a computer at that point, but not having heard of one is absolutely preposterous. They got there on a spaceship. Yes. Yes. You know? Which, which uh, of course, from the cutout scene, we know that they can actually tell the story of that spaceship. So it's not like they've forgotten that they well, got well, there on a the spaceship. That's the thing. And I would wonder if we would really forget who we are and where we came from in under 300 years. I mean, I've never actually crossed the Atlantic in a wooden ship, Mm -hmm. but I know that some of my ancestors did. And I have a pretty (laughs) clear picture in my mind of how that happened. Yeah. You know, I also have a pretty clear picture in my mind of how people lived 200 years ago versus 100 years ago versus 50 years ago. You see, here's the problem, though. I'll bet you've got one of those, like, uh, just sort of fake ideas. I'll bet you've got, like, one of those Disneyland ideas. I'll bet you've got one of those (laughs) bring Lloydy ideas of how people lived at a certain time. Right, Um, right. One other questionable thing. Uh, So so the guy, the prime minister says, "Uh, we want your genetic material. And Riker says, no way. And he's like, okay, well, will you just come down to our planet and do something else then? And, you <laughs> right. know, don't bring security and don't worry because, you know, there's only like eight of us or five of us or however many. And, yeah, that just yeah. struck me as dumb. And then on top of that, why did they not want Jordy's genetic material? I mm-hmm. really think it's just because it's bad writing. Because we don't yeah. find out. They've got a Tantalus device down there, by the way. Why is it that Riker and, 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 uh, and Pulaski aren't even aware of any missing time? 
Oh my God, you're right. Yeah, yeah. so they've gotten something yeah, down yeah, there yeah, that's yeah. going to erase their memory, not just take their epithelial cells. And yeah. then, uh, but then, so why even take Jordy or why not steal Jordy's DNA? Because we have to do some sort of Columbo thing of like, well, I asked them about you and they said that they hadn't seen you, but you're saying you saw them? This is a mystery. Mm-hmm. And and there's so much about that that I don't understand. Like Jordy's like, so have you seen uh, Commander Riker and Dr. Pulaski? And the guy's like, nope. And at that point, he should actually be on the comm to the Enterprise saying, can you locate Commander Riker and Dr. Pulaski? But he yeah. doesn't do that, doesn't report into security. And then he apparently went back to the Enterprise without knowing where they were either, because it's not until he's talking to the two of them later that he's like, so what happened to you guys? Well, they didn't beam up together, apparently. So really, like, with three people go down, one guy comes back, that one guy's not going to be concerned. Ah, right. they'll, they'll find their way home. Right, right. <laughs> that's all right. So that's that's it for the questionable stuff for me. Shall we move on to actual issues? Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like we've had a couple, but there are more to go. I guess yeah. so. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, some of them are like just like plot holes, and some of them are actual issues to discuss. I apologize. Mm-hmm. Like, why would Picard not let Riker finish his sentence? Uh, but Captain, I want to. It's bad writing. I mean, it's because they have to yeah. get all these things up onto the ship and. <sighs> Obviously, Riker is going to say, eh, Captain, I really must insist that you let me finish my thought because <laughs> you're going to want to know what we're beaming up. Yeah, you, you're telegraphing. Well, you're doing two things. You, you're telegraphing urgency yep. to the audience. Yes. And then you're also going out of your way to set up a joke. Yeah. Which, and both of those are unfortunate. Yeah. yeah. Uh, why not just put the bring Lordy in the holodeck? You or know, all four is... holodecks. Yeah. Because they got no clue, right? Yeah. I mean, and even if you tell them, look, it's going to be just like what you know at home, because then they can pick up the flint that seems real but isn't actually real and start a fire that seems real but isn't actually real and cook food, which, because of the way the holodeck works, will actually be food that will feed them on the way there. Yeah. And, yeah. and pretty much none the wiser, right? And they go and, they just, and then they never get asked about the other colony and that other colony ends up dying because they don't have the clones. But, you know, <laughs> I didn't understand why they put them in the uh, in the hangar bay or whatever. You and call then it. the holodeck reports back uh, to the captain. No, they they really did kill a pig. Yeah. Like, we had all this holodeck stuff, but no, they, they really did kill a pig. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of interesting. Are you either yeah, that or you say, had to clean it up. oh, well, I'll tell you what, we're going to beam you into this place that we call the holodeck and we'll beam your animals separately. <laughs> they just beam their animals back down to the planet. It because you can't have them killing them there or let them die on the planet, no, you know, the planet, once the sun eats them. Exactly. Um, yeah. Curious about where the prime directive is in any of this. Um, maybe it's not an issue because they're Terran and that's OK. Yeah. But yeah. this goes actually to the question about sending the kids to school with the Starfleet kids. I mean, are they joining Starfleet now? Are they coming back to the Federation, which I guess didn't even exist when they left? If not, I don't understand yeah. why we're sending the kids uh, uh, to school with the ship's children. But... We're showing them a lot of stuff. Look, their great, 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 great grandfathers decided 300 years ago or 240 years ago, we're going to go off and we're going to do this thing. We're going to start this new colony. And that was their choice. 300 years later, all these people are adults now and they've never seen a computer, but maybe they like yeah. it better. You know what I mean? It struck me. Yeah, yeah. There's a little bit of a prime directive. It seems like there might be a question of the prime directive here. Well, I didn't think so. I mean, simply because they are colonists from Earth. So it, it, it's, yeah, you know, if um, 
if the British army showed up tomorrow and mm-hmm. said, oh, no, 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 we're, we're taking you back, <laughs> even though you, you were colonists and then you had a couple of hundred years of uh, uh, free rule on your own, now we're taking you back. Sure, there would be a problem there. But again, if you know anything at all about your own history, you have to know that, okay, you came from somewhere and that other place and those other people presumably still exist, even if the original planet doesn't, well, the the other colonists who went away, they presumably still exist. And there are technologies out there that exist that could, if they could get us here, they could potentially get us back. So I, I think the prime directive here is is a different thing from asking whether or not they're now being brought into the fold of Starfleet or the Federation. The prime directive just says, like, if it's not your business, it's not your business. Stay out of it. Mm-hmm. In this respect, in this way that we're talking about the prime directive, but they are our people, mm. even if they were removed by several generations. What you're asking that's the political question, though, which is really interesting, is how do you then assimilate that back into the Federation? Or do the rules just basically say, OK, look, this is how they set out to live their lives. They can continue to live their lives or we give them the choice to to go live with the Mariposans, which, mm-hmm. you know, they'll be faced with all this new and wonderful technology they had no idea about. But if they didn't want to, we would then just, I guess, be obligated to drop them off at a planet of their choosing where there's nobody else where they could have a uh, have this agrarian lifestyle, hmm. you know, and, and that's I suppose that's fine. But it. I think the missing piece is you still have to have technology and scientific knowledge to do that because you still have to find a place where they don't beam down and immediately die by eating the poisoned apples. Oh, no, no, no. No, Brenna can take care of that. Okay. All right. (laughs) Good. I don't know if you picked up on that, but she can pretty much do anything. Uh, It's not a question of like ownership or or even meddling, but it's a question about sort of the, the political identity and the kind of cooperation that you have or don't have from that from that point forward Hmm. you know i i think at a certain point all bets are off like they they did come from earth at least they know that and it's not out of the question that earth would continue to develop or at least the other colony would continue to develop and there may be good reason like oh i don't know an exploding sun to need to come back yeah so yeah you know (laughs) Another issue with the clones, and this time I'm going to treat the clones just like clones rather than as a stand-in for something else. Okay. Um, although I guess they kind of are. Riker says, one William Riker is unique. 100, 1,000, that diminishes me in ways I can't even begin to imagine. And uh, the prime minister says, you would be preserving yourself. And Riker says, human beings have other ways of doing that. We have children. <laughs> we honestly could probably... I, okay. How is Riker diminished by another Riker? Or three other Rikers or five other Rikers. I mean, if they're there, we never know about it. Logically speaking, and I say logically because Spock knows that there is another, there's a 50-foot Vulcan someplace. Right, right. Logically, Spock is no less Spock because there is another Spock out there. And I'm not even talking about, you know, stuff that might happen when we're done doing this podcast a million years from now. I'm talking about (laughs) in the cartoon between the original series and next generation. Spock is aware Mm -hmm. that there is another Spock out there, but it doesn't it does not it does not diminish who Spock is. And if you're having a child to preserve yourself, please find something else to do with your time. 
That's mm-hmm. not that's not the reason to have a child. And I was no, kinda, you're absolutely right. Now, yeah. I say that as somebody who does not have a child. But here's the thing. We all know I want to put myself into a robot body. I'm all yeah. about preserving myself. I never once thought, well, something that looks a little bit like me that I'm going to eventually want to control and probably screw up, you know, for their life. Um, that's not the way to preserve myself. I was actually I was actually kind of horrified by that by that line. Yeah. Well, okay. So think about the vast chasm that you've created, but not you specifically. Kevin, no, I did but, it. It was me. Okay. <laughs> but the, 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 the chasm between the Bringloidy and the, um, and the Mariposans no, where you have this, this vibrant and creative and, and headstrong culture of farmers. And you have these just boring and antiseptic, uh, technocrats living in, um, in their world. Mm-hmm. And and it's gotten so bad that those elitist technocrats don't even they don't even have the idea of say art to preserve oneself, mm-hmm. or, you know, it, history, poetry, creativity, these other things. You know, it, it is kind of a weird. Well, it's a very weird line that Riker says human beings have other ways of doing that. We have children because. The other way to say that we preserve ourselves, we preserve ourselves by by doing, you know, we preserve ourselves by leaving something behind. Mm-hmm. We preserve ourselves by doing all these other great things that they are so completely and utterly removed from it. So a, a, a weird take on technology run awry that Star Trek does from time to time when you see these people who are totally dependent upon their technology and, and have no other outlet not, not even sexual and, and not creative in, in any way The Irish have weathered some difficult times throughout the centuries but can they survive up the long ladder? Ken, I feel like we've—I feel like we haven't gone on too long. I feel like we've gone on just enough, and maybe there's <laughs> there's even more to say, <laughs> you know. But but I feel oh, like I'm just, just going to jump straight to it. I'm sorry. This is one of those episodes that I referenced a week or two ago—a bad episode that yields lots of conversation because this that, is a that's it. bad that's episode. It. This is yeah. a this is just a bad 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 episode. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, I, that's what I was going to say. I think this is one of those rare but cool episodes where we get to say, okay, there's so much that makes us cringe. Do you remember what I texted to you a couple of weeks ago when yeah. I first rewatched this for the show? What did I say? Words, honestly, that I never thought that I would ever hear from John Champion. Okay. Uh, up the long ladder makes me want to kill Star Trek. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's that's what I said. Yeah. yeah. And, and I will I say, watched it honestly, three more times. watching yeah. it again, because the first time I watched it, I was just like, no. Really? No, <laughs> no. Uh, going back and uh, watching it a, a time or a time or two again to you know to know that we're going to pull stuff out. There really is a lot of interesting stuff going on here. There are a lot of really interesting topics here. Absolutely. Uh, I'd, I'd rather read yeah. the comic book. I'd rather read the novel. I'd rather just think about those topics and not even put the Star Trek layer over it because it's just. Can I tell you the only way that I thought that the, the Bring Lloydy worked for me, mm-hmm. or the Bring Lloyd or Bring Lloyd or whatever? Mm-hmm. The only way they work for me, I, I actually put them, uh, if I could put them in the same category as uh, a piece of the action, 
Mm. Though if memory serves, I didn't. I don't remember thinking that a piece of the action worked either. I know it's a fan <laughs> okay. favorite, but I, I want to say I thought that that was kind of weak for for kind of the same reasons. Maybe the only movie that survived whatever happened to the colony on the way out was Darby O'Gill and the Little People, or maybe oh God, you know, perfect, or maybe yeah. I mean maybe something happened to make them think. Because look, when they left here in twenty one whatever, yeah. unless something radically strange happens in Ireland, like. Unless the ley lines surge with power and a rift opens up between, you know, our time and a couple hundred years ago, people in Ireland aren't like that today. I know. No. I've met at least three of them. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is. I, I mean, I, I mentioned uh, the, the dinner theater show Finnegan's Wake. Yeah. And, and I kept thinking this is it, it is a worse Irish stereotype than Division Street in Chicago on St. Patrick's Day. There is not a Pierce Brosnan or an Oscar Wilde in the bunch. Not even a Bono. <laughs> I'd settle for a Bono. I'd settle for a Bono. That's actually yeah. that's that's a great line. That's a great that's, line. We'll, yeah. we'll put that on a T-shirt. There worse there there worse Irish stereotypes than my open for this show, which mm, which was which, terrible. Yeah, my open yeah. for this show was horrible, <laughs> and yet this show. <laughs> Yeah, uh, just that. sort of just yeah. But cool. but here's the thing: I, I actually do like the idea of the Enterprise crew having to deal with people that aren't like them, and specifically with people who are more like us. Hmm. You know, the crew are heroic and, and too perfect in many ways, and when they have to deal with people from say the 20th century, mm-hmm. like in the Neutral Zone, we got a little more acute look at how we are different. And what the values are that that take place in Star Trek's world. You know, what what are the things that we are saying in this more perfect, more evolved future um, are are something to strive for? Then when we get to hold up something else, we get to say, okay, well, well, here's the gap, and maybe here's a little bit of how we build that bridge to 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 cover that gap. So I like stuff like that. It's interesting, um, though. Uh, Picard's only able to do that when they're comical mm-hmm. because he hated Offenhaus. I mean, he, he acknowledged that Offenhaus was right, but he and Riker both were just like, I mean, uh, the three the three um, 20th century people, yeah. L- LQ and, uh, and Offenhaus and, and that lovely woman whose name I still forget. Uh, they, they, they treated them like something they stepped in. I mean, they, they, yeah, they yeah, treated yeah. them absolutely terribly, but then, you know, show up with a pipe and a mug and a, you know, mm-hmm. a, a brogue <laughs> and, <laughs> and a desire to marry off your daughter to anybody standing. Um, you know, well, then it's cute. And, and then, sure, we can help these people because they don't offend me. I mean, they, they yeah, I don't yeah. know. They're, but no, but, but there's just so much to dislike here. I mean, and I, I hated the, the cookie-cutter gender roles, like you mentioned, the, the industrious women who do all the work, but they also nag. And then the drunkard idiot men who don't do anything. It was just it really bad is too, it's all around. honestly too bad about Brenna, too, because she could have been a great character. She could have yeah, been a great yeah. character, and she could have been a strong character. But... She could have been a leader. She really could. Yes, you know? yes. If you had introduced that idea to uh, the Mariposans earlier. Yeah, but you know? nope. Yeah. Just, just nope. Just no, nope. no. Hold nope. up. Nope, nope. But, but we got messages, I bet. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, well, the whole thing about, well, I mean, I think you were just alluding to it, the whole thing of uh, working with people who are different than you. I mean, working with, you know, even if they don't, even if they aren't, I don't want to say on the exact same level, because that makes one better than the other. But I mean, it, you don't have to, everybody doesn't have to be samey, same, same for, for things to go well, right? In fact, everybody shouldn't be, because if you end up in the in just the one line of thought, if you end up in just the one 
course of action, look what happens. I mean, their whole colony was going to peter out. Yeah. I, I mean, Picard actually says the line to Granger. Well, a Granger. Uh, it is our differences. <laughs> it is our differences that have made us strong. Right. So that, that is the message. We have to work together. We have to get past the unfair stereotyping, like, like say, unfairly stereotyping the Irish. Um, hmm. We're better off. I don't know, though. That's funny, dude. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. Well, that's the last acceptable. <laughs> All right. Sorry about that. But yeah, but we're, we're better off and we benefit from each other's diversity. So yeah, that, that, that's a message there. And I respect the idea that Melinda Snodgrass started from that premise saying, mm-hmm. like, how, how do you integrate cultures that are so vastly different and, and do something interesting like keep cultural identity but still work together? Unfortunately, the story here went off the rails and the depiction went off the rails, too. Yeah. Um, another message, uh, sex is awesome. And um, another message I think that that is the unintended, it's that if you have technology, you will become evil and stagnant. And if you love off the land, you will become an eccentric alcoholic. Well, I don't think that's a message for everybody. I think that just happens to be what happened to these people. I do have one other question, by the way. What's that? What happened to the Mariposans, Brogue? Were they all from Ireland or was it like this group of Irish? Was it the Titanic, actually? I mean, I know you joked about it earlier, but was was it the Titanic? Well, see, that's kind of how I felt like, uh, about it. I mean, okay. Because when it, when, it, when it played out like that, I kept thinking, here's a giant cargo hold with all these animals and farmers yep. who are really just uh, just putting up with the idea that they are on a ship, just uh, hoping to not interact with anything other than their their animals and their chosen life. I mean, it really is. There is kind of a weird cultural religious thing that you could make out of it if you went like a darker way to say that it is this this single-minded, almost cult-like mentality. Because I pictured them on this ship 200, 300 years ago just not even wanting to participate, not wanting to go to the bridge, not wanting to know any of that. And then here you have these few elitist technocrats well they became the few elitist technocrats who are actually running the show who are saying okay well we're heading out but we'll take you too yeah because why not because earth is in tatters Hmm. um so i almost did picture it as a big separation like that from the beginning and it just got worse we're better depending on how (laughs) you look at it you know right um it's one of so those the, things, again, where I, w- I would love for us to write the three-hour episode that would make this 44-minute episode work. <laughs> <laughs> fan, 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 what is it? Fan film. We'll do yeah, a fan fiction? film. Well, no, yeah. we'll do a fan film. Come on. Oh, great. I don't have time okay. to read all this. I'll just I'll no. just write it and produce it and help you edit it. And, you Good. Know, okay. Yeah. That'll right. take much less time. <laughs> yeah. So there are messages that hold up. I, I say, why not? Yeah, we we live in a world where immigration is a hot button topic. And I don't know if you read the newspapers, but it is. Um, (laughs) And um, and, and even just on the micro level, we we live on a day to day basis, making even subconscious judgments about the abilities and the value of those around us. So, yeah, you know, we get we get to step out of that a little bit in a fictional context here. So so those messages, sure, sure, they hold up. But. But gosh, it, it will not be too soon if I have to watch this uh, episode again. Yes. It actually won't be too too long away. What did, what did I, you keep saying about the Packers? Maybe we'll see the Mariposans again someday, John. Oh, oh, maybe, I, I, maybe I, we will. I yearn for a Packlet. Bring me a Packlet, please, <laughs> please. Yeah, because the Mariposans make you weak. 
Yeah. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Find more information at roddenberry.com. And uh, all the other cool stuff that they have there. Are they still doing that thing where you can send in messages about what Star Trek means to you? They are. Yeah, yeah. The fan census. So yeah. you can check that out and you can be on a video. And it, it's cool. Yeah, that is pretty cool. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, be sure to check out Trek FM. That is Trek.FM. For the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. And, of course, uh, be sure to visit roddenberry.com, because my cadence indicated there would be something else, even though there was not. Ken, there is something else, though, because next week we get to do it all again with Manhunt. Some of the music from Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Fare the well, bring Lloydy. We will probably not see your like again. If we are lucky. End transmission. <laughs> <laughs>